Hi, I'm Joanne Key, Executive Producer of Riverside's National Theatre of Parramatta. I pay my respects to the traditional owners and elders past and present on the land where we record today the Barramatical people of the Darug. I acknowledge the significant contribution First Nations people have made on our country and culture. Thanks for joining us today as we chat with host Dino Dimitriadis to wrap up our first series of Staging the Nation. Welcome to Staging the Nation. Tonight we're actually going to speak to Dino Dimitriadis, who has been the host for our podcast series over the past year and a half. And I have to say, this podcast series, when we started out, I had no idea what it was going to be like. And um, it's just been the most amazing journey with some of the most influential artists from, you know, Wesley Enoch, Alana Valentine, Paul Capsis, Kate Mulvaney, and the way that Dino, that you've actually run these um, talks with these people has just been so insightful and really different to normal interviews because of the depth of knowledge that you have as a director and, you know, as a creator yourself. So I would urge anyone who is just listening for the first time to go back into the catalogue and hear from the different artists involved. Dina, one question that I noticed <laughs> that has been that has been consistent throughout um, has been: um, When did you know there was a play in the idea? Uh, it's a really common thread, and did you find that in the responses that there was a commonality, or was there a difference? Yeah, look, I mean, I if it if it isn't apparent, people listening to the to the series, I, I love playwrights and I love what they do and. I love the worlds that they conjure. <clears throat> and, uh, you know, an artist like myself as a director get to play in their worlds. So it, this all starts from a deep respect of, of what is a very isolating um, artistic process for a, a lot of writers. I ask that question to everybody uh, because I think that every play is deeply personal in some way. Not to say that every play is someone's story, but every play comes from some personal urge or thought or, or, or something that, that, that provokes it. And, I mean, we've had so many different answers to that question uh, across the series. But interestingly, almost every answer, I think, has, has, has been that personal, that personal moment or, or connection or whether it's exploring something in, in, in a playwright's own history or, or family or whether it's been about an interest in, in, in place or, or, or space or um, a cultural or social conversation, there's always been something that's ignited it that's very deeply personal to the, to the writer. So, uh, you know, I'm always interested in that origin story to kind of because it can be such a long process from that moment to when we might ever see a work, if we get to see it on a stage. Yeah. I mean, it's so evident um, listening to the, the series about how much you care about playwriting and the works um, by the way 
by your questions and also the responses from the playwrights. You know, just add a little bit out of left of field here. Mm. What is a director? What actually is that moment where you go, I so want to put this play on? Oh, that's a great question. Um, for me, I think it's different or I can imagine it to be different for, dif- you know, for different directors. But for me, I need to have a visceral reaction to a play. It's it's not enough for a play for me to engage me intellectually. I have to I have to be stirred sort of bodily and viscerally by by a work. Um, you know, that's 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 the sort of that's the sort of work that interests me. And and that doesn't mean that there's not works that are um, wrestling with 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 big ideas or big arguments or wrestling with culture. Uh, but ultimately, I need to feel because my the, the the theater that I like to make sort of puts this question of 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 who we are as human animals, and you know what what we use to separate and divide us, but also what those what those common threads are. So that's where I start with this very kind of physical and emotional impulse to a work. And if I feel that, then I feel I can contribute something to carrying what is a very fragile process of getting a work from script to stage. And there are other works that I adore, but I don't have that reaction to that I won't back in the same way as a director. I'm also thinking that with Staging the Nation, what we were looking at, because um, it comes within the canon of um, Riverside's National Theatre of Parramatta, which is about inclusivity and diversity. And so we looked at really a range of of, of voices. And while some of them are really highly well known, we were also looking at those artists who are coming through now as artists of the future and their works. And I was just wondering whether you had some comment on the landscape of what playwriting is 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 evolving into in Australia. Mm. And it was actually interesting because Donna Abella was saying at one stage she thought the the time had come and then it disappeared. <laughs> yeah. And and hopefully yeah. you know where are we now? Well, it's a big yeah, it's you know, I I think the thing that was really moving for me with this the whole series was it, I had some connection to each of these writers. Some of them I knew very well and, and were friends. Uh, others um, we had interacted briefly. Others I only knew through their work. Um, so there was across the whole series there was this this range of um, connection to to people who I you know deeply respected and, and and some who I knew well. But it wasn't until we really sat down in 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 this context to actually have the conversations about the, the plays and the process that 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 we've had. I think to answer your question, I, I I don't think we respect playwrights in this country, which is a very controversial thing to say. But I don't think playwrights get the respect and the space that they deserve. Where, you know, th- these these artists are conjuring worlds and imagining new futures and doing so so vulnerably and and so many of the artists we spoke to talked about the vulnerability 
of of the process and um you know so that so that's something that i that i saw that you know playwrights are having to continuously navigate what the industry tells them they need to do or the kinds of plays they need to write or the structures they're writing for and and all those things but the flip side of it is we we spoke to incredible artists from all sorts of lived experiences who have done it who have imagined those worlds and who have and and every work that we spoke about had reached the stage and <clears throat> it was so if you look at the the catalog of work that we've talked about across the series and you look at the the catalog of storytelling and and the, the perspectives and the experiences from which it comes it's quite astounding to see what work and and all of these plays are quite recent um, the, the the bulk of them they're contemporary australian works and a lot of them um have in some way quite significantly shifted conversations about playwriting in this country or about the possibility of what we can see in you know in in our state and i've said multiple times in this series that i'm allergic to the word diversity but what we are seeing is over the you know past 10 years especially the last 5 this um this move towards really being reflective of australian society of literally staging the nation in all its um breadth of experience and so you know what what i've learned is that it you know or, or reflected on with this is it it is happening and there are astonishing artists to do it but i think so many of the structures and the processes stifle playwrights and you know i i look at internationally at at some of the um, conditions that exist. And, and obviously we are a smaller industry compared to some of these international counterparts, but um, we don't often give our playwrights enough space to actually imagine and create. You know, speaking to Shakti in the last episode and looking at something like canning and cracking, that is an outlier. That is not any kind of norm for a new Australian work to be able to dream so big and then have a company say to you, dream bigger, you know? Um, so that's, that, that's the big takeaway. I, I, I am equally um, frustrated as I am inspired by the, straight, by the state of, of, of Australian playwriting. Yeah. Um, when you were speaking to Felicia King, mm. you um, talked to her about, you know, whether as a playwright you're a gardener or an architect. Mm. Um, and I am interested to hear your thoughts on what other types of creation that might be a little bit different from sitting down and writing with a piece of paper or who does that anymore anyway? But, you know, what are the different types of creation that may maybe comes from people from different backgrounds or different energies or like ways of looking at things? Yeah, absolutely. You know, the, the Gardner architect thing was, was something that I asked because, you know, I've, I've, I've worked with a lot of different playwrights and, and I've worked on a lot of new works and, you know, and sometimes I have worked with playwrights who, who, who are like gardeners, you know, they're doing this, they're tending this, they're... And, and other times I've experienced playwrights who are like architects. I mean, they've got their plays in a spreadsheet and they're tracking things and, you know, and, and I guess it's all to do with how their mind and their impulses work. But I think what's really interesting about your question is 
you know, it, we, we say Australian playwriting or we say, you know, Australian plays, but as we've talked about in, in, in many episodes of this series, um, to, to get new voices and new stories and new lived experiences on our stages, we also have to think about what structures those works need. You know, storytelling is a very broad brushstroke word. And, you know, there, there, there are many ways to tell the story and there are many ways that storytelling is understood culturally, socially, from a gendered perspective, you know. And so often we, we, we talk about the content of a work, you know, what, it, what is a work about or what, what, what kind of, you know, characters are in the work. But what are the support structures that we're using to, to support that work? You know, dramaturgy is one I go to often. So if there's anyone listening who is not in the theatre world, you know, dramaturgs or the dramaturgical process, so, you know, are people who are working with the playwright to, to ask questions and to, and to kind of shape a work. And that's never shaped from, and it shouldn't be shaped from the dramaturg's agenda. It should always be about tr trying to support the playwright in uncovering and getting to the thing that they're trying to get to and asking the right questions and listening. But, you know, a lot of what we understand to be good dramaturgy is actually Western, white, cisgendered, patriarchal dramaturgy. It's not gonna work for all works. I know as an artist who makes a lot of queer work that there is a queer and trans dramaturgical framework that can exist in some of these works that actually can reject some of the very things that we've um, suggested are essential. You know, in, in many trans dramaturgies, a linear narrative is not necessarily something that is true to an experience or necessary to structuring a work. And there are many examples of this. And so it's, it's as much about, and what's been interesting, and we've kind of scratched at it in the series is, who are the other artists around the playwright? You know, who, who are the other collaborators on a work? What's, what's their experience? And what are the other structures and company structures and ways of working and where's the work being made? What are all these things that support a writer to tell the story on their terms? And I, and I think, and this is a kind of long-winded way of answering your question, but I think as we go forward, if we really want to open up the possibilities of what we're seeing on stage, I think we have to rethink what the stage is. And we have to rethink how we make work. And for, for example, for some experiences and some communities, I think the best way to make work is to take the work out of a theatre. That's one example of where we can be a bit more adaptive to thinking about the art form of playmaking as a bit more responsive and active than we may have traditionally. And do you see that happening in Australia as much as it might be happening overseas? Not as much. I think it's different. There's different conditions and there's, you know, we're a smaller population and we're, you know, a smaller, um, our theatre audiences are, are not as big and there's very few venues, there's very few sort of, you know, 
comparatively fewer opportunities. Um, and, you know, in Australian theatre making particularly, everything is tethered to the financial reality of, of, of the process. And that's not to say that doesn't exist elsewhere or overseas. But, you know, we are trying to continuously operate in structures that are almost built against us. And so even to get a new Australian work on is a small miracle every single time. Mm-hmm. So the ability to get one on with ambition or get one on in a way that um, is also doing something structurally, I mean, that's a rarity. And some of the works that we chose for this series, we chose because they did that in some way. Mm-hmm. They were, you know, really uh, sort of defining moments in Australian theatre. When you um, say that, it brings to mind Wesley Enoch and what his seven stages of grieving, which he um, devised and, you know, produced with Deborah Mailman. But that actual structure that he was working with was really different because he they actually put as much money into the next stage after the first run mm. as the next stage um, and the evolution of it. Do you... I mean, obviously, it would be a you know a dream if there was that kind of investment um, all the time in productions. But I'm just wondering too what he was saying about at that time. You know, was there a next step? And he was saying, "Let's leave that for other people because he's now part of the establishment." Mm. So, what do you think about you know the next generation coming through about? what opportunities there might be for those artists? I think it's a really exciting time for, you know, new artists to... It's a very challenging time for for, for all the reasons that normally exist and we've had two years of pandemic. And I think that, especially for emerging early career artists, can't be underestimated, the impact of that. Um, and and the delay that's going to be now built into some of those artists um, getting uh, certain opportunities and and the opportunity to have their voice their voice out there, but I also think that we you know what what's exciting about it is the, the the more time that passes and the more works that are presented and done, you you have reference points, you know. There are certain works that now exist that didn't ex- that didn't exist five ten years ago. You know, you go I and if you look across the series, you look at what Felicia did with the the, the Asian communities she put in that one play. You look at you know counting and cracking. You look at um, works where you go. You know, even back to our first one with Paul Capsis telling an essentially Maltese story um, through the lens of uh, of his grandmother Angela. Um, we go, well, okay, so it's there or, or some of these stories are there. So we're either going to come and tell the ones that are not there or we're going to have permission to extend out, to tell different versions of those stories, to tell our versions of those stories. I do also think, though, that we need to support mid-career playwrights mm-hmm. because... You know, playwriting is such a craft and it is also something that in many ways 
can only but grow with life experience. And it's exciting to me to think about what what would you know what could be created when we create spaces and opportunities for those mid-career writers to create new worlds now with what they know now, with what they've experienced now, with with a catalogue of plays behind them. Um, That's exciting to me too. What do you think are some of the common challenges in bringing a new work to life? I think, um, you know, one of the, the realities that a lot of writers deal with that some will more openly admit to than others, but I think everyone feels it, is writing to what will be programmed at times. And that means it takes, uh, you know, there's not many playwrights who, who think that if, well, if I'm going to get onto the stage quickly or in the current context that I'm going to write a work for more than five or six people, a new Australian work, um, or that I can't do certain things with the scale of the work, with the scope of the work. So I think that sometimes the challenge is to not diminish yourself as a writer or what I see writers wrestling with, but also to not compromise the story that they're actually trying to tell. I think another challenge is just the isolation of the writing process and how that can um, either be a really generative place or a place that can mean that it can take a long time for a work to come out. And one of the things that's you know was apparent to me in in every single episode of staging the nation is that it took other collaborators to support that writer whether it was a company going we're going to back this work or whether it was a director or whether it was you know uh, some sort of development structure or funding structure that allowed something to happen it took the beautiful collaborative process of theater making to advance all those works to the stage. And every single writer talked about advocates on each of those work. And sometimes it was the designer that helped them do the harp in the South or, you know, a a, a director that really navigated certain questions with them. Um, And and that is something that... um, you, you know, really struck me as well. And I think some writers really find it challenging to to find those people if they're not, you know, especially if they're early career um, writers and to find the right people. Theatre is really fragile. Making theatre is really fragile and so much can go wrong or so, you know, I always describe it as like... A, so many balls in the air that you're holding up and it's so easy for one of those balls to drop, not not by anyone's ill will or, or even sort of lack of skill, but just the fragility of what we're doing. Mm, absolutely. Do, what do you see as the, the shaping of modern Australian plays? I think it's hard to talk about the plays we're making without talking about the audience we're making them for. And, you know, I I think that sometimes Australian or not so much Australian work, but sometimes I think programming can operate in a bit of a vacuum of of not actually thinking about who, who we want to see this play. I think that there are 
I think that every established theatre in in Australia has a following or a group of audience members who enjoy generally experiences in that space. But I do think the subscriber idea is eroding. And I think people are coming to art, whether it's theatre or whether it's live music or whatever it is, purely based on that project or that idea or that story. And we're seeing this when companies stage very specific works, be they culturally specific or queer works or whatever it is, and they're finding their audience if that company has, you know, done the work to engage that audience. And I, I think that that's where, you know, in my opinion, where Australian theatre is potentially going, which is, you know, larger, more, dare I say, blockbuster theatre works, and then a return to more specific works that are quite specific too in asking the question of what is audience and who is the audience. Having now gone through ISO and coming out the other side, it's interesting how people crave that live performance. Mm. So what is it for you that is when you're in that room that makes live performance more special than the cinema? It's energetic, you know. It's the energy of seeing and hearing and feeling the bodies on stage telling the stories and moving and um, knowing that you're in a room with other people. I, I find even the experience of audience members coming together so poignant, really. Because there's not many there's not many communal rituals we have left these days, you know. Some people may experience of going to church or going to, but even then, you you know, you might know people. Whereas going being in a theatre audience, you're you're entering a space to have an experience with a completely disparate group of people who are seeing the same. Thing, but experiencing that thing differently through their own lens. And there is an electric energy between what's the stage and, and that room. And that, that is a continuous energy that um, plays out over the, over the course of the work. I think that, you know, we are all experiencing questions of, of what it means to be alive and to be in, this, in, in the world now particularly. And we're realizing that there is no normal anymore. There's no going back to anything. We are, uh, you know, not to be dark and, but we are in a in a time of ecological crisis. We're in a time where we're about to see mass global displacement, uh, which which, and what that will do is start to pull at and erode nation, notions of the nation and the nation state. We're really in complex times. And so I think people want to feel alive mm. and liveness does that. Yeah, and actually that, do you feel that's reflected in the work that we're seeing 
on our stages that people are writing now? Yes and no. I think that we are, companies are navigating, all companies have to navigate the balance between staging what they would put in, you know, quotation marks, risky works versus works that they think will achieve financial viability and allow them to keep agitating that conversation. I, I think the pandemic has really problematized that in some ways because some companies, either the pandemic has liberated them and they've gone, well, now we're just going to do our thing you know, and, and be quite risky because we think that, you know, our audience has shifted or, or whatever that is. And other companies have had to return to more conservative programming. Uh, I, I don't think generally programming is brave enough. And I think that if the story and the authenticity is right, the audience will come. You know, and the... The other thing, and it, it, it ties into my subscriber comment, is we always talk about the audience. There is no audience. There are individual hundreds and thousands of people who have their own experiences, perspectives. There is no unified mass that is the audience that we're playing to. That's actually, <laughs> that, that concept has just shocked me. <laughs> yeah. But so true. You know, yeah. when I'm making a work as a director, I'm making a work that I know is going to have thousands of individual conversations. I, I never think of it as this mass that comes into the theatre and, and consumes it, which, which in some ways is terrifying, but in other ways it's also liberating because you go, I, you know, there's going to be different responses, there's going to be different feelings, different lived experiences in the room. Mm. And just drawing it, back into staging mm. the nation and, and process. What surprised, was there anything along the way that surprised you about the process or your, you know, in your conversations? I don't know if there was anything that surprised me. I, I know that there was a lot that moved me. <laughs> there was a lot that I didn't know about what, stories or truths or impulses certain works were born from. And I think all our playwrights were so incredibly generous in, 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 in sharing some of those things. And I, I asked a lot of questions about family and culture and personal relationship to the world. And that's because I felt, and, and my experience has been that, that that works of art are not removed from that, when from their from their creators' um, experience. And I, I was very touched by a lot of things that you know that people say. And I learned a lot about the playwrights themselves. And there were some people who sat in that chair, like Paul Capsis, who's a dear friend, who I learned new things about through the conversation of Angela's Kitchen, and that has been a really thrilling process. So do you feel as though that you brought some of your directing experience into the process of these conversations? I, I think so in that, you know, I, I do understand 
the process of or, or certain processes around developing new work. And also I understand the enormous leap that happens between page and production. And it's, I found with the, and, and, and what I really wanted with this series is to ensure that we spoke about both, that we spoke about the work and that we also spoke about uh, the, the challenges, the joys of bringing it to life and what the playwrights learnt or experienced with seeing the work realised in the alive way that it was intended. And that, that was an exciting process for me. And to be talking to people whose... I, I had seen probably every work we talked about uh, on a stage. And that meant that the aliveness of the product could be connected to not that the page is static, but to to the document of of, of what's created. Mm. And how do you feel that your background has influenced your perspective? I've been working in the theatre now for over 10 years, closer to 15 probably, and I have never seen my story on a stage to this day. And I make work that is trying to contribute to, to certain kinds of storytelling. And I think what I connected with, with, with this series and with, with the writers I was talking to is, you know, for, for a lot of the works that we discussed, in fact, I think for all of them, they were all enormous leaps. And they were all, as I said earlier, works that were informed by some personal or uh, urge or impulse or thought. And so it's important to me what stories we're telling on Australian stages and what new stories we're creating room to facilitate and bring to the stage. Mm. So, Gino, when are we going to see your story? <laughs> when, when someone convinces me to write the play and put it on. Um, but, you know, I guess also with so many... Uh, with my with my deep love and respect for writers, I also go, you know, it's it's a process to do that. So, um, but you know, it, it's something that I I go well. There is room for so much more, and there are so many people who still do not feel seen in theatres because they haven't even seen it once. Yeah, actually, that is very true because many of the works that we've put on the audience response is very much about how, you know, with Lady Tabuli, with James yeah. Olazzi, um, talking about how, what was that old older man who said, I've waited for this story for 50 years. Yeah. Yeah. You know, Lady Tabuli is a great example. I had the, the, the pleasure of uh, directing that work and I had not seen a queer Lebanese story told like that before. And to walk out of the theatre each night and to have the, the response from audiences and the conversations that we had was quite overwhelming and so profound. 
it wasn't walking out and discussing, well, here's the 25th production of this classic work and great what you did with it and here's an idea. It, it was deeply connected to the, to the people who came through those doors. I think we're going to come to the question which you've asked everyone else. <laughs> <laughs> so what did you learn about yourself during the process? Oh. Yes, that's a big question. Now it's landed back at me. I learned to trust myself more. Um, because, you know, it's, it's when, you're, when you're stepping into a live recorded sort of one-time conversation with someone, um, there's, there's lots of things that you want to ask. But like a great conversation, a lot of the things that I asked came from listening to what was said and responding to it and going, well, if someone else has heard that, what, what, what might be something that they want to ask? Or, and then there were certain things that I would come to the conversations going, um, you know, there's certain areas that no matter what we discuss, I would like to get to them in some capacity because I think they would be interesting conversations. And it was different for each work. It was very specific for, for each work. Um, and what I also hoped is that we could, that over the course of the conversation, that I could build a comfort with, with uh, the person who I was speaking with, even if I knew them, to be able to go deeper and deeper, uh, you know, as the conversation went on. So it's, you know, I, I, so trusting myself and, and going that there is, um, you know, there is so much value in just listening and never walking in expecting the conversation to go a certain way. I think in the earlier part of the series, I would try and think about where's the conversation going to go and, and, and really plan that, which, which never works out in a conversation. And as it went on, I went, you know, I, I had a certain process for preparing, which is, you know, reading the work. And if there was something I wanted to think about or research, I would. But generally, it's about being open and trusting that if I listen, it will be more interesting than if I try and steer. Um, and I, I, I guess I, you know, was reminded. I didn't, I didn't learn this about myself, but I was reminded about how much I care about new work because working on new work as a director is thrilling, but it is debilitating. It can be an extreme process of working for a long time on developing something. Often a rehearsal period is, is, can be quite stressful because you're also finalizing the work and the script as you're trying to take it into production. As I've said many times in this series, there's often not a culture of second production. So the pressure on getting it right the first time and by right, you know, really serving the writer, but also delivering a product that you know, works for the company and its audience members. Um, it, it, it can make you as a director go, oh, I'm not going to do this often. Or I will do one here and have a gap and do something else. But actually, 
it's it's reignited for me um, that that passion for for being involved as one of those collaborators in the process of new writing because I do want to get to the point where I sit down again with you and say, I have seen my story or I have seen my mother's story and I hope that day comes soon. I do too. Thank you so much for a really insightful and so much from the heart. This series has has been a wonderful thing to be part of. Thank you for having me for this series. It's been a pleasure. Thank you. Stage in the Nation is a production of Riverside's National Theatre of Parramatta, produced and recorded at Riverside Theatre's Parramatta. Executive producer, Joanne Key. Producer and technical director, Daniel Holsworth. Composition, Mealy Hay. Associate producer, Kara Woods. Host, Dino Dimitriadis. Thank you to the Australia Council's Resilience Fund and also City of Parramatta, Create New South Wales and Riverside Theatres. And of course, thank you to you all for listening. <laughs>